but on the song, It Is Well With My Soul, thinking about that, where he talks about um, that sin regard, that Christ regarded my helpless estate, just that helpless estate that he talks about. And then in verse 3, um, talking about our sin is nailed to the cross and there's no longer that burden. I don't have to bear it anymore. And so it's just neat to see from Sunday school and then carrying over to the morning service. And um, we might have to try singing the song tonight again, God Makes No Mistakes, because we were almost picking up on it, right, Jason? <laughs> I know we can get it, and it's a really good song, so maybe we need to just practice it again tonight, but it's a little rough when when hardly anybody knows it. So open your Bibles this morning to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. I don't know about you, but these past few nights I have just enjoyed going outside at night and seeing the the full moon. It has been it has been beautiful. It hasn't been too extremely cold, but it's that nice crisp cool air that you go out and the sky is just brilliant and I've, I've been sure not to not to tell my mom that it's been perfect weather because every year in the winter time she likes to and we all enjoy it too but she's the one that's really gung-ho about it she's usually the one that kicks all of us outside to go do it but when there's a full moon in the winter time and the ice is good to go outside and either go skating on the pond or to start a bonfire on the ice and skate, and then you can warm up. How many in here have ever done that? Had a fire on the ice and go ice skating at night? Okay, a few. You have to be careful when you're warming your toes up not to melt your skates, though, don't you? I did that when I was little. Feet were cold, so I put them next to the fire, and then I noticed that my skates were melting (laughs) and my toes were still cold. But I've been sure not to tell her that, It's been perfect weather for ice skating at night because then she'll just be wishing she was back here. But I have really been enjoying just seeing the beauty of God's creation and watching the moon come up. It's it's been wonderful. Ephesians chapter four. We're going to begin reading in verse one and read down through verse six. I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called. With all lowliness and meekness, with long suffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, even as ye are called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all, through all, and in you all. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word that you have given to us. Um, I thank you that we can trust it, that we know that it's truth. Lord, I thank you for, as we are talking about, just the beauty of your creation, that just your, your power over everything. And I thank you for allowing us to enjoy it, just the different colors and the, the different scenes and the different seasons of the year. Uh, Lord, Truly, you are gracious and merciful to us, and we thank you for that. In your name, I pray, amen. Today, this morning, we want to talk from this passage about what we read in verse 3. Keeping the unity of the Spirit, or 
what I would like to say is, is team building, building a team. I like to view we as a church, as the body of Christ here, we should be a team that is tightly joined together. Now, if you follow sports at all, you've heard um, them say from different teams, that team has really good team chemistry. Or from watching some teams, you can tell they're practically out there fighting on the court amongst themselves. And the teams that have real good team chemistry, whether they're the most talented or not, they always do really well because they cover for each other, they build upon each other's strengths. So let's first start out by looking at verse 1 that we read here. I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you, or I, I plead with you, I'm begging you, that ye walk worthy of the vocation. Now, what does it mean when it talks about walking worthy of the vocation? In thinking about that, I was thinking about you have, we have things going on in our Supreme Court, them trying to make laws instead of just determining what the law is, but, and doing things that we say are not right. Now, we could say that that judge is not worthy of his position, meaning the position that he has been placed in, he is not representing that right. Or I was also thinking this has been going on in, everybody knows who Tiger Woods is. Now, he's the most famous athlete probably at this time, and he was somebody that six months ago people looked up to as a man of good good integrity, good character. But as you have all heard, it has been since found out that he is not what people thought he was. And you could say he was not worthy of the praise that he got, the opinions that he got, meaning that what people thought of him, he was not, he was not living up to the standard that they had placed for him. Or another illustration I was thinking of, a husband. He is supposed to care for his family, provide for their needs. Now, somebody that, that abuses that responsibility is not worthy to be a husband. Now, in this passage, he talks about he's pleading with them to walk worthy of their vocation, of their, of their calling. But I, th- he, here he is not talking about saying, you need to live up to this certain standard so that you like earn the worthiness. Because we know that as sinful men and women, we can never become completely worthy by just trying hard or by just doing something of our on our part. What he's talking about here is live appropriately or live in a godly manner. Now, God has has purified you. God has sanctified you. And you need to live in a godly manner. Worthy of your calling appropriately of your calling. Turn over to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 7 we're going to read. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. For God hath not called us to uncleanness, but unto holiness. 
So God, God has called us to holiness. And that's when we're living in a godly manner, that is living in a holy manner. Okay, so in developing, he's, he's pleading with them to live worthy of their calling. And he goes on in verse 3, talks about keeping the unity of the Spirit. So how can we develop unity amongst our church? Unity number one comes from common convictions of the faith. Look back in Ephesians chapter 4 and look over at verse 13. Till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Look at that statement. In the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. Unity comes by having common convictions about the faith. Common convictions, that comes from all of us being students of the Word of God. You know what? If you're reading, if I'm reading the Word of God, if I'm reading the Bible, and this section over here is reading the Book of Mormon, and this section over here is reading um, Green Eggs and Ham, I'm just trying to think of another book, I don't know. They, We might have some of the same same ideas and thoughts, but we're not going to have the same convictions. But if we all, I have the word of God in front of me, you have the word of God in front of you, and we're all students of the word, we're all studying it, God is going to lead all of us to having common convictions built on the truth, built on the word of God. So it comes, first of all, by having common convictions. But we also see in that same verse, in verse 13, that it also comes from having a common faith, a common trust in the Lord Jesus. Till we all come in the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, a common faith in the Lord Jesus. Now, we could say, Starting out in our lives before we are saved, this has to come in placing our faith and trust in the terms of salvation. But as Christians, then, it also means daily placing our faith and trust in the Lord Jesus. It is so easy for us to one day be dependent upon Christ, and then the next day we just think that then we can do it ourselves. I know that we've all we've all been there. We've all done that. Thinking that then we can, oh, we can handle this. We can do this. But having a common faith in the Lord Jesus. And then number three, unity comes from having a common love. Turn over to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 14. For he is our peace, who hath made both one, meaning the Jew and the Gentile, both one hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us. Or, in other words, the middle wall of division or hostility. And the opposite of hostility in that is love. He has broken down that wall of hostility, and he has given us a common love. God 
as believers has developed a common love. Not only, you know, the two great commands, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and then love others as yourself. We are to have this common love that guides and, and directs every aspect of our life. Okay, so being, being a team player comes from, and here in chapter 4, he tells us how this happens. Verse 2, he says, Remember and walk worthy of your calling, by which you are called with all, point one, being a team player comes from being lowly. Now, if you were to ask, what do you want to be? Most of us probably wouldn't say, I want to be lowly. I mean, that's just, it doesn't go with who we are, does it? You, in our minds, it doesn't sound like a good thing. I mean, if I was to ask Willie and he got up here and said, yeah, I'm, I'm really working hard at being lowly. I have a feeling we'd kind of be like, is he okay? I mean, is he doing all right? We need to check up on, on him a little bit. But here it clearly tells us, with all lowliness or with modesty, we are to walk worthy with modesty, with humility. Turn over to Philippians chapter 2 and verse 3. Philippians chapter 2 and verse 3. Let nothing be done through strife or vain glory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than themselves. The, how we get to being lowly and that really comes from verse 1. We have to look back at verse 1. When we understand the knowledge of our high calling from verse 1, it will bring a sense of lowliness or a sense of humility. It's like those from the Bible who have come into the glory of God and immediately it has caused them to, to tremble, to be fearful, to see their sin in its true light, to see how utterly disgusting it is before God. And when we understand what we have been called from what we have been saved from what God has done in our lives it will automatically bring in that sense of humility because we understand that we are nothing we understand that we are we are dirt and one day we're going to be going back to dirt we understand that without God in our life we are we are condemned to die going back to pilgrim's progress the pilgrim understood from reading the word that he was condemned to die, that destruction was going to come upon him unless he sought something that, that could help him from this. And that's when he started, started seeking salvation. And when we understand that we as people have been condemned to die, to die and then we, we see that Christ has come in and has saved us from that, and saved us from our own wickedness, we have nothing to glory in. So being a team player first comes from verse 2, we see, 
by being lowly. But then we also see it comes from being meek. From being meek or, or gentle. Being meek means being completely submitted to God. Turn over to Matthew, Matthew chapter 11. We see our true example of meekness here. Matthew chapter 11. And verse 29. Let's begin in verse 28. Jesus is speaking here and he says, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus says, I am meek, completely submitted to God, completely under God's control. It also means that exactly strength under God's control. Now, Jesus had all the power available to him, didn't he? Because he was God, yet he was completely submitted under the father. And as he said, I am meek and lowly of heart, you know, Jesus submitted even to the point of death, death on the cross. Now, today, in our, in our struggle with being meek, with being lowly, we are not, we are not up against dying on the cross and submitting, submitting our, our lives like that. God is just asking us to submit what, what little power we have, to submit our lives under his control so that he can do with us as he pleases. And he is the one that has made us, so he knows what it is that, that we were designed for. Meekness comes from somebody who is lowly. As Isaiah 64, 6 says, our righteousness is as filthy rags. Our righteousness that we do is as filthy rags. And understanding that, having a lowly mind, and then submitting completely under the power of God. But then we also see, continuing on in verse 2 of Ephesians chapter 4, we also see, it says, with long suffering. Does that mean we just have to suffer a long time and then, and then we're doing? It means being patient. Lowliness is a prerequisite, prerequisite of patience. The more highly you think of yourself, the more impatient you will be. Isn't that true? You've all been around somebody that, that is impatient. We've all been that somebody that has been impatient. And when we're in that point of being impatient, what, what is our mindset? Serving others. No. Our mindset is... I deserve to get this now. I'm in a hurry. I need this now. It's all focused on ourselves. When you're standing in line at the grocery store and somebody gets out their change and here, let me count that. And you're thinking, oh my goodness, come on. Just use a credit card or something. No. And, and you start to become impatient. And what, whenever we are impatient, it is because we think we deserve 
to go into Hy-Vee, go right to the front of the line, not have any problems, just go through, get on our way. It's when we're focused on ourselves, we become impatient. And he's saying here, you need to, to do all these things with patience. Focusing on serving others will help us become more patient. If we're more focused on how can I minister to this person or how can I meet the needs of this person, we're not going to be saying, oh, man, I need to get in a hurry because I have to do this. I have to do this. No, it will help us become more patient. Then he goes on and he says, with long suffering, forbearing one another in love. Or endure or put up with. Now, we all probably can go with this one a lot more than the last one of being patient. Putting up with one another. <laughs> in, in your family life, you have to put up with each other, don't you? And if you don't put up with each other, there's problems. And as a church body, you do have to put up with one another. Because we all have differences, and maybe those differences rub each other the wrong way. This person likes to do things this way. I like to do things this way. And, and you rub each other the wrong way. That can happen in every aspect of life. But being patient and enduring one another, but it doesn't stop there. He says, you have to do it in love. So it's not just okay, fine, I'm going to put up with that person. I'm just going to endure. No, doing it in love. And that's where it really comes down to is, you know what? How am I responding? Maybe I don't agree with this, with how they're doing it. Number one, is it important how it's done? Does it matter if they do it that way and I like to do it this way? Is, import, is it important how it's done? And how can I show love to them. You know what? Perfect people don't have to endure anything with one another, do they? Perfect people don't have to put up with anything. But I hate to tell you, we're not perfect. I'm not perfect. Nobody here is perfect. And so there are things that we have to put up with, things that we have to endure. He says in verse 3, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit or, or laboring to keep the unity of the Spirit. Now, if you see in verse 3, he says, keep the unity of the Spirit. And then if you look over in verse 13, which we read, till we all come in the unity of the Spirit. Here, he is speaking about containing and holding on to maintaining in verse three, maintaining the unity. And in verse 13, he's speaking about attaining the unity. But in the verses before that, he talks about how there have been given um, prophets and pastors and teachers and evangelists for the perfecting of the saints. Now, the unity. When we all come finally arrive in the perfect unity, I don't believe that's not going to happen here. 
when Christ comes again and we're all in heaven with him, we are all going to be in perfect unity. So here we are working on maintaining the unity of the spirit. These things, lowliness and that, come directly from walking in the spirit. We could look in Galatians chapter 5 and the gifts, the fruits of the spirit. You all are familiar with those. But walking with lowliness, with meekness, with long-suffering, enduring one another comes directly from walking in the spirit. So let's look at our lives personally. It's time for us to take personal inventory of ourselves, okay? To say, what type of a team player am I? Number one, am I self-centered? If you've played sports before, you've probably been around someone who is known as the ball hog, right? Everybody knows who that is. The person that always wants to have the ball, will never pass it to anyone, thinks they can, they can do it all by themselves. A totally self-centered player. And those type of people do not help build a team. So personally, am I self-centered? Am I all about building people and helping raise people up? Or am I more worried about doing my own thing and using people to help me? Is it all about me or am I focused on serving? Matthew 20 talks about Christ came not to be served, but to serve. And am I self-centered or am I really, is my intent, my desire, my focus as a member of this church, as a member of the family of God, is my focus on serving? Number two. Do I care enough to confront people when it will make a difference? Do I care enough to confront them when it will make a difference? Meaning, if you see somebody that is really, really struggling and really having a hard time, are you willing to step in and to try to help that person if you think it will really make a difference? Number three, do I know my teammates? Do I know my church body? Do I know that person sitting on the other side of the auditorium that I never see because they're clear over there and they always sit there and I always sit here and we see each other passing? Do I really know my teammates so that I know what their strengths are? And I know how God has gifted that person and how God has equipped that person. We'll be going more into detail into this aspect tonight. Number four, do I value every member no matter what their part is? No matter what their part in the team here is, do I value every member? Maybe you've heard it said, do I place a 10 on everybody's head? Meaning, do I really highly value that person? Do I appreciate them? Every member has been given by God and as is important to the body here. 
but do we do we really know them? And a lot of times this is where this is where we come up short. We don't know each other's strengths and weaknesses, partly because we don't want to open ourselves up enough to show that, hey, I have weaknesses, even though we all know we do. But to get in so that we can help as a body, as a unit, help cover for each other, help build each other up, help strengthen. So are you a self-centered player? Self-centered teammate? Do you care enough to confront people when, when it, you think it will really make a difference? Do you know your teammates? Do you value every member? And are you helping build unity in the body of Christ? Are you helping build a sense of team chemistry, so to speak, in the body of Christ? Or should we say, would God say that you are a good member, a good teammate in the body here? Because that is what really matters, is building a sense of unity in God. It's not a sense of unity in, in us and in our church here, but it's a sense of unity in God. So would you say that you are striving to be a team player in the body of Christ this morning? Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for the way that you have designed your body to function. I thank you for the body here and for you, for all the members that you have given. Lord, help us today to really... See the importance of, of striving together to be unified in you. Lord, and as, as we said, it's, it really comes from, from having a close walk with you by walking in your spirit. So I pray that today we would be obedient to your spirit's promptings in our lives. And that we would do it no matter what no matter what it is, and that we would just obey you no matter what. Lord, we love you and we thank you. In your name I pray, amen.